you know, Jesus loves us with everything that he is. With everything that he does, he just embraces us. And I think this morning, you know, what I, what I was going to talk about was this, this part seven about faith and, and how f- faith plays a role in our unity. Faith plays a role. Can you not hear me? It, no, it's on. It's just kind of broken. <laughs> we, we need a new mic stand. Can you hear me better there? Okay, here we go. But uh, how faith plays a role in unity, in unifying the body of Christ. And, uh, but what I feel this morning, you know, first of all, I, I don't know, you know, how, how much of what just happened you, you really grasped or, or got a hold of. Um, I, I, think, I think Alex and, and Wendy explained a little bit about it, but... <coughs> But from a spiritual standpoint, I want you to understand something, that, that we, are, we are in the middle of a war, and, and not, to, not to simplify this, but it really is a war between good and evil. In, in reality, that's what it is. Because as much as Jesus loves you, as much as he wants to be intimate and loving toward you and you loving toward him, just know that on the opposite, on the opposite side, there is an enemy in the name of Satan who has many, many forces at his command who hates you. Okay? He hates you and wants nothing more than you to feel isolated. For you to feel like God doesn't care about you. See, because when he starts to lay out this battlefield, he, he understands the fact that he can sway us. See, all he has to do to thwart God's will is to change our minds. And, and this, is the, this is the thing that took me so long to really understand in my own life. You know, I used to think, well, you know, if God wants that to happen, he'll make it happen. And in reality, by choice, by giving me choice from the very beginning, because he wanted love from me, he set the rules of the game differently than that. Do you know God is never going to force you to love him? He's never going to force you to worship him. He's never going to force you to do anything in intimacy with him. Why? Because he wants us to love him freely, right? That's what love is. You know, you've all heard the adage, if, if, if you let it go, then if it loves you, it'll come back. Right? There's truth to that. See, God had to, as his creation, he had to give us choice. That's why Adam had a choice to eat of the fruit. He had a choice, and he knew what he was choosing. He wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived. But Adam was not. Adam knew what he was doing. He made a choice in what he was doing. And, and that's a whole, whole very interesting separate study because he was also a picture of Christ in that way, 
in, in how he loved Eve. By the way, that's why he ate of the fruit by choice. Wasn't because he wanted the knowledge. Wasn't because he knew what he was doing. It was because he didn't want to leave Eve. He didn't want Eve to be destroyed. This person that he came to love. Do you see from Jesus' standpoint it's the same way? See, Jesus didn't want to no longer have fellowship with us. His creation. So he had to inject himself into his own creation so that he could live a perfect sinless life to offer that life on the cross for us so that we could have intimacy with him. See, he did it, but it didn't take away our choices. Every day we make choices. Every day we make choices in our relationship with Christ. You know, first of all, if you're saved, then every choice beyond that affects your intimacy with Christ. Everything that you decide beyond that also can either give victory or defeat to the enemy in your life. Oftentimes, we give victory to the enemy, and we don't even know it. We don't even realize it. You know, I want to tell you about a game I used to play. And this is something that's been on my mind the last few days. And, and you know, when, when I was a kid, I, I, I want to say 15 years old, right around there, um, whatever you are in, in the 8th grade, 7th and 8th grade. But, you know, 8th and 9th grade. So I, must, I think 8th grade. We'll just go middle of the road there. Okay, uh, when, when I was in 8th grade, I used to play this game, and it's a popular game now, Dungeons and Dragons, right? Okay, D&D, and, and this game, to me, was a game. Okay, I, I, was, I was a young man, but I was in love with the Lord. It wasn't that I was so far from the Lord that, that you know, it didn't matter what he was trying to say to me. I loved the Lord, and yet I started to enjoy this game that that's all I thought it was. Well, it's no big deal, you know. However, this game started to consume a portion of my life, and then that portion grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And again, I didn't even understand what the game was until my uncle, who is a missionary in Brazil, he came back, and I'm showing him how cool this game is, and he starts to freak out. He said, he said, do you, do you realize what this is? Do you realize what these things are saying? You know, this is Santeria, this is the Mukumba, this, this is Satan worship, effectively. I didn't know it, just, it was just blabber, you know, in the manual. Okay, now, when, when that happened, immediately I made the choice. Now, keep in mind, it was always my choice. I made the choice to play the game. I made the choice to get involved in the game, I made the choice to allow that game to become a part of my life. But then I also made the choice to get rid of it. Now, you have to understand something. You know, the spiritual world to me at that point was... I don't want to say it wasn't real. I mean, I believed in it. I believed that there were angels and demons and all that. I believed in that, but... But that was, that was kind of like you watch it on TV or, or that's, that's somewhere else. It's certainly not in, in my life. It's certainly not in front of me. However, when I decided to get rid of this, 
something happened to me that changed my life. Something happened to me that I didn't expect. It was the very first time that something from that world, that spiritual world, made contact with me that I was aware of, that I understood. And it was when I was burning these, all my material. And by the way, I was into it. I mean, I was into it. I don't know if you know anything about D&D, but in D&D, when you become a dungeon master, man, or a dungeon master, you know, whatever, I think a dungeon master. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. But you, you, you basically are the, the referee for everybody else playing the game. When you're the referee, you don't play the game, but you're the referee for everybody else, and you're in charge of creating the world that they play on. See, it's, it's, a, it's, it's technically a board game. You've got to make the board, but it's something you make. You don't just buy this board and it's all pre-made. And I was so into this, I had this ridiculous world. It was like 12 by 12. I don't even know how you walk on the thing, but it, 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 all these things, all these scenarios I had set up and everything else, I was really into it. So when I knew what it was, when I decided, hey, that there's no way that I'm going to let Satan deceive me anymore in this, I want to get rid of it, I, I began to burn everything. And, and everything burned fine. Everything burned fine until the final book. The final book was the Dungeon Master Manual. This was like the heart of the game. This was the heart of teaching the game. This was where all the spells were. And, and if you don't know what D&D is, it's, it's kind of like... Um, It's a fantasy type thing. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings, but you can take a real, you know, different twist to it. And, I, and I, by the way, I'm not condemning Lord of the Rings or anything like that. I, I'm just trying to give you a flavor of, of what it was. It was, you know, the, you know, whatever. I don't need to go any further on it. But I was really into it. Okay, so I go to burn this thing. Then I go to burn the, the Dungeon Master Manual and it wouldn't burn. And, and, I mean, I'm separating pages. It wouldn't burn. And I'm in the basement of, of the house, and I think my dad was there. Um, he was over another part of the basement or whatever. Um, but I was doing this. Finally, it caught and started to burn. And it burned all these wild colors, which, you know, whatever. It's a book. It has colors. Maybe it just burns different colors, right? What bothered me... <laughs> is when the flames formed a face. And the face started talking to me. That kind of flipped me out a little bit. And all it said to me was, we'll get you. We'll get you one day. We'll get you. We'll get you one day. It kept repeating that, and then it stopped. And when it stopped, the book was burnt. I don't know if anybody else heard that. I, I, don't, I think I talked to my dad. He didn't hear that. So... Whether it was in my mind or not, it was audible to me. And I saw its flame lips move. <laughs> okay, this, this was real. It was not my intent to give that authority in my life to the enemy, but yet it happened. It was not my intent to say that, Satan, I want to give you place in my life, but it happened. And I want you to understand that we make choices in our lives that seem simple. We make choices in our lives that take us in a direction that we think 
That's not a problem. You know, God understands. You know, I, I, I woke up late and I didn't get my time in the Word or didn't get my time reading or worshiping. God understands because I'm going to be late for work. You know, God understands because He knows that I, I need this job. You know, I, 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 I'm, this is how I pay my bills. This is how I get through life. God understands that. And here's the thing. He does understand. He completely understands. He understands that it's our choice to trust him or not. And the more we take control ourselves in our relationship with Christ, the more we think we're in control. But you have to understand something. You're not. Because there are two choices. There's good and there's evil. Okay, there's no middle of the road. There's not good, evil, and Greg. <laughs> right? Well, I, God, I'm going to do my own thing. But Satan, you can't have me either. All right, I'm going to do my thing. You have to understand, your thing, if it's not God's thing, is Satan's thing. It's simply a choice. And, and by the way, it's a choice God allows you to make. But he also allows you to suffer the consequences of those choices. You know, it's interesting because this, this came up, you know, it's been regarding some, something else. Uh, it had been on my mind for about the past six, six months or so. And the last few days it came up. Again, and, and you know, I, I've, been, I've been studying about the throne room of God and how the throne room, the Bible lays out the throne, throne room literally like a courtroom. If you read the word of God, if you put on a lawyer hat and you read about the throne of God, it's going to blow you away because it is exactly like a courtroom, exactly. If you think about the, and now I'm not talking about the intimacy with Christ. Okay, I am talking about the righteousness of the Father. If you read through all of the Old Testament into the New Testament, the entire Word of God that talks about coming before the throne of God, it is like going before a judge in a courtroom. And as I've been understanding this and learning this more and more, <clears throat> it's, it's come to the place where I understand that whatever choices I make they have consequences either way. It isn't anything I can control. It's just like when you're in a courtroom, if you've, you know, if you've done something wrong, let's say you go to court because you, you were speeding or something else, you know, the judge doesn't say, well, that's okay, that was just your choice, so, so go on, have a good day. <laughs> no, he doesn't do that. There were consequences to that choice. You may have at the time thought that you were doing your thing because, well, this time I didn't get away with it. Or I did get away with it, I mean. You know, I, I was driving 90 miles an hour down I-95. Nobody caught me. It was no problem. And I've done that a hundred times. And then all of a sudden there's that one time where you see the blue and red lights in the, in the mirror. Right? Anybody who knows that, it, that's just not a good feeling. I, I thank goodness lately have not since I've gotten older. Now I drive more like 
an old per- old grandfather or something. I know, I'm <laughs> sorry. Now I drive more like Doug. <laughs> no. But when I was a kid, it was like, yeah, boy, those look familiar. You know? But it catches up to you. It's just like our choices in life. When we decide to put something before the Lord, it catches up to us. You know, when we put our work before the Lord, it catches up to us. Now all of a sudden, over time, it's not overnight, because the Lord is gracious. But over time, now we're not doing so well at that job. Or there are problems that arise there. Why? Because we didn't put our priorities in the right place. We didn't put our relationship with Christ first. See, when you don't trust Him to provide everything you need, He can't provide everything you need. Do you get that? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a promise in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 9.8 But my God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. But do you understand that if I make choices... To do my own thing, I cancel out that promise in my life. Why? Because I'm pushing him away. The very one who makes the promises to me, I'm pushing him away. And so it, it takes that promise and it, it does not apply it to me. It does not allow it to apply to me. Because I'm making choices against that. And one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy is thinking that you're not choosing Satan by not doing God's will, but you're just doing your own thing. It's okay. You could be a Christian. Just be a Christian. Do your own thing. You'll get to control your life. You'll get to control the outcome of this. You can, you can better decide how to navigate these waters than God. It's okay because you're doing the broad strokes of what God wanted. Right? You're in the direction that he wanted. You're in church. You're reading his word. You're doing this. You're doing that. But that's not what he says. As a matter of fact, he said all those things don't even matter compared to the intimacy that he wants in your life. Because it all springs from that intimacy. And one of, the, one of the verses that everybody knows, the foundational verse of, of ignition, is Matthew 6.33, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay, then he takes care of everything else. He does everything else for us. But that comes as a condition. That condition is seeking him first where he is. Not where we are. And you can understand that to mean in the spirit realm, you could also understand that metaphorically to mean control. See, I can only seek him where he is, where he controls, because he controls where he is. He doesn't force that control on me. He allows me choices, but my choices affect my intimacy with him. It's also interesting because he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We cannot be righteous outside of him. Because his righteousness comes in two manners. 
One, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, His blood is poured over us. His righteousness cancels out our sin before the Father. So when the Father looks at us, we are completely sinless. But you ever study the Word of God and you ever ever see and understand that Jesus doesn't see us that way? Do, Do you know Jesus is one of us? He is human. He is man. He is 100% man and 100% God. And he stands at the right hand of the Father. His, he, his throne is at the right hand of the Father's throne right now. Jesus knows us for who we are. Only reason the Father sees us as perfect is he looks at us through Jesus. If you're a camera person, if you're a photographer at all, think of it as a filter on the end of your lens. This is my Jesus filter, and I put it on the lens. That's how God sees me. He sees my life through that Jesus filter. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has sealed my spirit. My spirit, which we're made up of three things, remember. We're body, we're soul, and we're spirit. When you get saved, you are Your spirit is now dwelling, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in your spirit. It seals your spirit. And the Bible says where where God is, Satan cannot be. So that's why he seals your spirit. Your spirit is a guaranteed until you receive eternal life. Doesn't mean your body and your soul. Now, by the way, the soul in the Bible means your mind. Think Think of your thoughts, think of who you are as a personality. Okay, those things are still under this curse of this flesh that we're born in. Right? So because of that, our spirit is guaranteed, and that's what God the Father sees. He sees that guarantee. He sees that covered in in Christ's blood. He sees it through the lens of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, who is intimate with us, he sees us for who we are. He sees us for what he sees in our future. He sees us for what he sees we can be. He is the best friend that somebody can possibly be. Have you ever had a friend that believes in you so much, you sit back and you go, wow, I can't believe they're still my friend. And they still think that I can do something. You know, that's Alexis to me. She and I have that relationship where when I do things that it's like, seriously, I did this again. I I just screwed up again. She sees in me the potential. She sees in me what can be. And she sees the movement of that toward what God is doing in my life. Jesus is the same way. Jesus looks at each one of you and he sees what intimacy with him will bring about. He wants you to see that too. He wants you to believe in that. So he sees where we're at. That's why when we get saved, you ever wonder, okay, if if our sins are all covered and everything's all forgiven, why do I have to keep asking forgiveness? You know, Lord's Prayer, forgive me for my debts as I forgive those who, you know, trespass against me. Forgive me of my trespass. Why do we need to do that if they're already forgiven? 
It's because there's a difference between justification in salvation and sanctification in salvation. That is the intimacy that's produced in, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That sanctification. See, and every single little decision we make affects that. I want you to think of this. When you go to make a decision, doesn't matter what it is. It's a fork in a road. Every time. There, there's, no, there's no straight or two forks. It's always a fork in the road. When I make a choice, it is going to bring me closer to Jesus Christ or it is going to take me further away from Jesus Christ in intimacy. Even something that doesn't seem like it would be a big deal. See, it didn't seem like a big deal that I would play that game. But yet I believe that that game had affected me for years. I remember through high school, I, I just had just an amazing desire for horror. An amazing desire to be afraid. Because it would take a lot to get me scared. And, and to, to go watch some of these movies that would scare me, it, it was more like an adrenaline rush for me. Again, those choices began to give the enemy place in my life. And slowly but surely, it pulled me away from that intimacy with Christ. It pulled me away from what he was calling me to do in my life. And, and it was literally replacing him. Because there, there, was, there was such a such a adrenaline high with these scary things in my life. I remember one summer where, where that, okay, that was like my whole goal <laughs> was, was to find something that would actually scare me. And, and it, it, I didn't find too many things like that. And one of, one of my best friends, he was the same way and we did it together. But see, what it did is it drew me away from the intimacy that I had with Jesus Christ. It drew me away from the desire to know him, even though I didn't know that's what it was doing. See, apply that in your own life. What, what is in your life that you're making choices over that take you from the intimacy with Jesus Christ? Where, where were you six months ago in your intimacy with Christ versus where you are now. Some in here have been saved within the last six months. I mean, your, your intimacy with him is just beginning. But be aware that every choice you make, and by the way, it doesn't matter if people see it or not, because God does. See, that's the whole problem with this spirit world. <laughs> he sees everything. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows the choices that we make intimately that nobody, we might be able to fool everybody else. We might be able to fool parents. We might be able to fool friends. We might be able to fool our boss. Can't fool Christ. 
And what, what you might be doing in making those decisions may not, in your mind, hurt you in this physical realm, but it hurts you with your intimacy with Jesus Christ. And what we're going to get into next week, because I'm what, what, we're, what we were going to talk about today, we're going to do next week. And what we're going to get into is what would happen if you just believed him in everything and you made choices based on that intimacy and that intimacy alone. What, what would that do? How would that change us? See, because we're going to talk about faith and go through chapter 11 of Hebrews, and one of the things you see in there is that all those people had one perspective. You know, we talk about Abraham, we talk about David, we talk about, you know, all these people in the Word of God that did these amazing things, but yet Hebrews 11 says they had one perspective. And it wasn't this life. See, they looked at what God was going to do in the future. One of the verses we'll read is, is that they all looked toward a city that the foundations were built by God. And in this city, it was all about what God was doing. That's what they looked forward to. Even though they knew that wasn't happening in this life. See, it's no different with us. Where is your perspective? Is your perspective on what God is going to do right now? What God is going to do next week? What God's going to do in my life, you know, over the next 10 years? Or is your perspective that, God, I want you to do whatever you want in my life now regarding all those decisions that will best prepare me for when I'm with you? that will best bring me to a place of intimacy with you, so that when I'm with you, there is nothing I have to be ashamed of, because I have fallen deeply and madly in love with you, Jesus Christ. So that's the perspective that we want to take on, is this life is not all that important without intimacy with Christ. And, and the investment that we make in this life affects eternity. Not just in our salvation, of our, our justification of accepting Christ into our heart, but the sanctification of our lives, the intimacy that we develop with Jesus Christ. That continues on. Don't fool yourself or let the enemy fool you into thinking that, that when you die automatically... You're sanctified. Automatically, now I'm close to Christ. You know, if that were the case, we wouldn't have to do anything on this earth. Well, I'm going to be sanctified. I'm, I'm going to be, you know, intimate with Christ the second I die anyway, so I'll just choose to do whatever I want now. It doesn't work that way. See, the Bible says his rewards are eternal. It also says that some will not get rewards. It also says that some who have earned rewards will lose rewards. See, our choices have an impact. Even the choices that we don't think mean anything can mean a lot 
Because Satan is not trying to turn us 180. He is not stupid. He is not stupid. See, he's just trying to get us off course a few degrees. And then a few more. And then a few more. See, if you've ever been on a cruise ship, they don't make big turns. Why? Because their people aren't supposed to feel it. They make small degree turns, two and three percent turns. So you get from one place to the next, and you never felt those turns. That's the same way as Satan, what he does. He turns us just a little bit so we don't feel it, and then a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. Next thing you know, we're going the opposite direction. So it's smart that we're aware of that. It's smart that we see his strategies. Ephesians 6 said, put on the whole armor of God. Why? So you know, you recognize the strategies of the enemy. Because when you get in tuned with that, you start to realize, okay, he's, he's trying to get a percentage turn out of me here. And you rebuke that. Because you have only one gauge And that gauge is intimacy with Jesus Christ. And that intimacy is is done in faith here that we'll talk about next next week. Because anything not done in faith doesn't have that same intimacy effect. Because faith is the thing that greatly pleases him. So we'll get into that next week. Let's pray.